everyone, Kirk here with a little year-end bonus for you all, a mini-sode that I recorded earlier this year about one of the most talked about songs of 2022, Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God. This wasn't a full-length episode, I already did a full-length episode on Kate Bush that actually ran in the feed again earlier this year, but it was still a lot of fun, and I learned a ton about how this song works and how Kate Bush produced it. She was so inventive, not just as a songwriter, but as a sound designer, and making this really gave me a new appreciation for that. I originally published this in the Patreon bonus feed, which, just as a reminder, you can get access to that if you become a patron at patreon.com slash strong songs. Five bucks a month or higher. Just five bucks. Buy me a latte every month, and you will get more bonus episodes like the one you're about to listen to, and you'll also just support me as I make strong songs. Anyway, it's the end of the year, and I wanted to put it out there for everyone in the main feed as a holiday bonus, so I hope you enjoy it. I hope that you're having a happy holiday season and that you have a happy new year. See you in 2023. Lovely Strong Songs patrons, welcome to another Strong Songs bonus mini-sode. Thank you all so much, as always, for supporting the creation of this show, and hey, let's get right into it. So last week, I published an episode about Tori Amos, about her song, Silent All These Years. People really seem to like it, which is pretty cool. I loved working on it. I love that song, and now I really love that song. What a song. So it's been really cool to see the positive response to that episode. And while working on it, I got thinking about Kate Bush. Bush. Of course I did. Bush is one of Amos's clearest influences, another piano-playing, art-pop, songwriting, drama nerd who started as a young prodigy and followed a constantly twisting, questing creative path through decades of stardom and whose music is constantly being rediscovered and reappreciated. I only really got into Kate Bush last year when I made an episode about her 1978 Emily Bronte fanfic song, Wuthering Heights. But even when I was working on that episode, I mentioned that as much as I love Wuthering Heights and as perfectly as it lent itself to an episode of Strong Songs, there was another Kate Bush song that had really stolen my heart when I listened to it, 1985's Running Up That Hill, A Deal With God. No other song sounds like this, and from the first moment I heard this song, I was just completely in love with it. So I've always had Running Up That Hill in the back of my head. I'm not going to probably do too many double episodes on individual artists since there are so many artists that I want to cover on the show, but it's always just kind of been there, you know, this this thought, maybe I should talk about that song. So then, as I was working on the Tori Amos episode, I watched the fourth season of Netflix's super popular 80s throwback horror show Stranger Things, which featured what else but Running Up That Hill in a number of pivotal scenes. The character Max, who's dealing with the death of her brother in season four, she loves Kate Bush and she's seen early on retreating into her headphones to listen to the song as she sleepwalks through life. I 
I thought that'd be the last we hear of the song, and it's a great way to use it. It sets the mood perfectly, it has this dreamlike melancholy energy, but as it turns out, the Stranger Things showrunners weren't done with Kate Bush. The song returns a few episodes later, featuring in what I'd say is the climax of the entire batch of new episodes, and one of the greatest sequences in the show's entire run. They can't help you, Max. There's a reason you hide from them. Max has been sucked into a dream world by the season's big bad. She's trapped in a catatonic state, and as she's about to be killed, her friends realize that music is the only way to reach her, the only way to call her back. So they put her headphones on, and they begin playing her favorite song, and Kate Bush guides her in a breathless escape that genuinely had me on the edge of my seat. Strengthened by the memories of her friends and the awesomeness of Kate Bush, Max breaks free and begins a terrifying dash to try to escape the dream realm back to reality. The music swells, composers Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein add their own dramatic string arrangement on top of the existing song, and I don't know, maybe it's the way it was shot, the editing, the amount of time it takes her to reach the portal to escape, but in that moment watching that episode, I honestly was not sure if they were going to kill her off. Like I said, edge of my seat. Rewatching this sequence while prepping to record this, I gotta say, like, I know Stranger Things has its detractors, it's kind of a pastiche, you've seen it all before, etc, etc. That's all true, but like, this show rules, and this sequence was incredible. And as Max's friends hold her close, an instrumental version of the song carries us to the credits. Shortly after the new season of Stranger Things aired, Running Up That Hill began to climb the charts and climb and climb until it was competing for top spots with the hits of the moment. As it turns out, a bunch of people were either discovering or rediscovering Kate Bush's music, and thanks to the strength of this song, as well as the ingenious way it's incorporated and expanded upon in the show itself, the world has been having a bit of a bush lately. She's thanked fans for the new love she's getting. She seems amused and certainly seems pleased by the whole thing. It must be kind of surreal to have a song become a number one hit this many years after you released it, and honestly, it feels to me like an imbalance in the world has been corrected, at least a little bit. Kate Bush's music never quite became as big here in the States as it did overseas in the UK, her home base, or elsewhere, and that's always been a loss for us, I thought. I mean, there's a reason that I hadn't really listened to her until recently when I made the episode about Wuthering Heights, and now, more than three decades later, way more people are on board. It's a timeless song so it's time might as well be now.
So it was an easy call to decide to talk about this song for a Patreon bonus-ode. And while I'm not going to do a whole big breakdown of this song, this won't be a full-length episode or anything, I did want to talk about one thing, one attribute of this song that I think is its most distinctive attribute. That beautiful sound, that sound that defines this song, that tone, that sample or synth, what is it? That sound that Kate Bush uses for the main hook. It's a sound unlike any other sound in pop music, something you can legitimately call iconic, though everybody, including me, I'll cop to it, overuses that word. That sound is iconic. Nothing else sounds like it. It is instantly recognizable. So I began to look into what it is, and as it turns out, that sound isn't just the lead tone used for this song. It's actually an integral part of the song's entire sonic identity. So I decided that for this bonus note, I wanted to recreate that intro as best I could. And as I set about doing it, I learned a lot about how creative Kate Bush was as a pioneering electronic musician and how she used several iconic pieces of 80s gear to make this song a song that sounds truly unique. So as I get into this breakdown, I want to shout out the website Reverb Machine. They published a full breakdown of their take on how Bush made this song sound the way it does. It was super helpful for me because I'm not really an expert in this gear and these techniques. So I really recommend checking them out. Um, I'll link to them in the show notes. Definitely go give them a read. So this song relies heavily on three pieces of gear, a CMI Fairlight sampler, a Lindrum drum machine, and a digital reverb like a Lexicon or an AMS RMX-16. I have a digital plugin, well, I have a free trial of a digital plugin that recreates the RMX 16 pretty much perfectly, so I'm going to go with that, at least for this recreation. Bush recorded this song over the course of a couple different iterations, but it was recorded in a home studio that she had recently completed, and that gave her access to some of the most advanced music creation tools of the era, specifically digital musical creation tools. So it all starts with that CMI Fairlight sampler. This was an early sampler. It looks really cool. It looks like a full piano keyboard hooked up to this little CRT monitor. And as I've explained in a few mainline episodes, the difference between a sampler, a sequencer, a synthesizer. So a sampler basically takes any recorded sound and recreates it using the keyboard. So it lets you manipulate it using the keyboard, spreads it all around, and you can do all kinds of things to the sound within the sampler. So if I wanted to sample my voice saying, strong songs. I can then really quickly bounce that audio into a little file. I can drop it into Logic Sampler, and when I press C on my keyboard, I get this, strong songs. But then I can start to play with it. Strong songs. Strong songs. Strong, 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 strong songs. Strong, 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 strong songs. Seriously, samplers are really, really fun and way easier to use now than they were in Kate Bush's age. I have a lot of respect for what it took for her to use this unwieldy sampler because it's so easy to do it now. But really, if you have any kind of a DAW with a sampler in it, I really recommend messing with it because tons of fun you can have with a sampler. Strong, strong songs. songs. Strong, strong songs. Strong songs. Strong songs. So Kate Bush is using a cello sample on the Fairlight, and with a single sample, a C that I recorded off the internet, I can just drop that into my sampler here in Logic, and all at once, I have the basic sound. 
So now let's listen back to the intro of the song, since while we're a ways from being able to get that sound, you'd actually be surprised just how much of this is made out of that one sample. Alright, so let's start building this thing. Let's actually start not with that lead line, not even with the chords. Let's go down to the bottom and start with the drone that plays at the very beginning of the song. That drone is a crucial bit of atmosphere. It's not as in your face as the lead. It's not as immediately noticeable as those driving lindrums, but it is crucial. It's a very important part of this recording. So what's going on there? That sound is all about the reverb. So it's a C and an E flat. That's a minor third in the key of C minor, which is what key this song is in. So if I play those notes on the sampler, it sounds like this. Not very atmospheric, but if I play the same two notes and I put them through the RMX-16 with the reverb time cranked way up, I get this. So that's called a reverb tail. There's a very long tail on this particular hound. And if I grab just part of the tail and then loop it onto itself, rather than decaying, it'll stay steady and it'll become a drone. If I feed that back through the RMX-16 with the decay turned down to a more reasonable place just to add a little bit more reverb, I get a nice atmospheric drone, much like the one that Kate Bush made. So she's got a bit more noise in there, that nice reverb dirt on her sound, but you get the gist. And that's a very musical way to use a reverb. That's really creative. You wouldn't think about taking, you know, just a segment of the reverb tail and then looping it and turning it into its own musical element. But it's a great example of one of the many ways that musicians were experimenting with new digital equipment like the digital reverbs of the 1980s, which lets you do things that you just couldn't do on a plate reverb, the kind of thing they would use in the 60s or the 70s. You can expand the reverb time way out. You can add gates or extreme pre-delay. You can do all these tricks that are often integral to what you'd think of as a song sounding like an 80s song. Okay, let's keep going. We're building from the bottom, so next up is that drum groove, which as I've mentioned is the Lindrome, a classic drum machine of the 1980s, one that featured on both Prince's Kiss and on Janet Jackson's album Rhythm Nation, to name a couple of other times that it's come up in the past on Strong Songs. So here it's giving this great driving beat. If we want to thump, pop, sizzle it, the kick is on one and three, the snare is on two and four, and there isn't really a proper sizzle, which actually does contribute to the wide open atmosphere of this song. There's a hi-hat or anything like that. The toms are providing this extra kind of sizzle-like subdivision, part of the groove, that doon da doon da doon kind of galloping groove. Put them all together, run them through a couple of different instances of the RMX-16, and you get this.
Sticking with the bottom-up approach, there's also a kind of a bass synth in there that I'm hearing. I'm not totally sure what it is, but I'll just kind of add it in to flush things out on the bottom end. There was a bass player on this. Del Palmer is credited with playing bass on this, so it could be that he's playing a bass, though I'm not totally sure what instrument that is, specifically electric bass, synth bass, something like that. There's something down there in the low end. But let's get into the harmony, which is all built out of that same Fairlight cello sample. So remember, this is what that sample sounds like. Not super distinctive, right? But leave it to Kate Bush to take such an ordinary sound and come up with a way to make it sound extraordinary. So the most crucial difference between the basic sample and the one on the recording is the attack, the beginning of the note. It doesn't start straight on the way that the sample normally does. It does a quick scoop at the outset or a pitch bend into the note. So I'm doing that manually. I'm using the pitch wheel over at the side of my keyboard to kind of bend the note right when I play it. And it'd be possible to do that manually every single time the sample plays on every note, but that'd be tricky and it wouldn't have a uniform sound since it wouldn't really be possible to do that with perfect consistency. So what it sounds like Bush did is, well, you can kind of maybe imagine what she did given what we've already learned about how a sampler works. She performed the pitch bend once, recorded it, and then fed it back into the sampler as a new sample sample, which let her play it all over the keyboard with the pitch bend the same every time, regardless of what note she was playing. Hey, you're hearing it, right? It's starting to come together. So let's use that sample to play some chords. We'll move through the song's first three chords, A flat major to B flat major to C minor, really the defining chord progression of this song, a classic flat six, flat seven, one minor kind of a thing. And we'll put it over the drums and over the drone, over everything that we've built so far to get pretty close to a finished product. Alright, we're really getting there, so all that's left is that famous lead part, which is in many ways the most straightforward of all of the parts of this intro. So I'll just play it as written using that cello sample. Of course, doesn't quite sound right, so I'll add some reverb with that RMX-16 and an eighth note tape delay, which duplicates each note right after it sounds. Well, now we're cooking, so let's just put that on top, and I think this sampler stew that we've been cooking up will be complete. Here we go. <laughs> okay, it doesn't sound as good as her version, but still, not bad. It was such a wonderful, instructive process learning how to recreate the sound of this song. It gave me a bunch of new ideas for use of my own music, but more than anything else, it just gave me a new insight into just what a creative producer Kate Bush was. When I talked about Wuthering Heights, that song let me focus on her strengths as a lyricist and as a songwriter, but she was more than that. She was a sonic pioneer, and her work in sound design was just as influential as her work as a singer or as a composer. I'm so happy to see her getting the appreciation she deserves. And while I could talk about her music for many, many more hours, I think I'll let her have the last word.
And that'll do it for this bonus Patreon mini-sode about Kate Bush's running up that hill. This one was a bit more involved than your average bonus episode, but I felt like the song deserved it. And I really did get so much out of learning how to recreate or at least sort of recreate the sounds that she came up with for this song, this incredible, incredible song. Thanks to everyone who wrote in to request that I talk about this song. And of course, thanks to all of you for being patrons of Strong Songs. You really are all the reason that I get to make this show the way I want to make it, that I'm able to dedicate extra time to making bonus episodes like this one. And I really appreciate your support. I'll be off for the month of July. As you know, there will still be some stuff happening in the main feed, though, and on Patreon. So stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, keep running up that hill, keep running up that building. And as you do it, keep your headphones on.